Another week, another episode. It's Hockey the Podcast. We're heading over to Netherlands, where a South African legend has hung up his stick. He's picking up a whistle and a coaching board, and he's got lots of challenges up ahead. But after an incredible career uh, over at Den Bosch, and of course for the South African men, Ozan Smith has hung up the stick and called the time. We're going to chat to him about all of this and more in this edition of Hockey the Podcast. Well, if we were another sport, we may have had massive crowds full. We may have had a ticker tape parade. We may have had a bus parade going through the streets of Sanson to uh, celebrate arguably one of the great South African sportsmen's in career at the top of the game. Well, we're not quite, but we do have a podcast dedicated to it. And uh, joining us today is South African fan favorite and Den Bosch legend, Austin Smith. Ozzy, Ozzy uh, yeah, thanks Thanks for joining me. Uh, it must feel good that you don't have practice uh, tonight. <laughs> yeah, well, I would have, wouldn't have mind training this evening. It's a beautiful evening here in Nimbos in the Netherlands. It's a warm 26 degrees. And yeah, anytime it gets over 25 is a rare occasion. So it feels like I should be out there. But uh, also enjoying an evening just watching some hockey on TV, actually. So still enjoying the hockey. Yeah, of course, uh, we're recording at a time when the Netherlands and India are busy in action. Um, and it's uh, a cracking little game going on. So, uh, you know, if if you hear any commotion in the background, you know what it's about. But uh, as obviously, we have to start at the most obvious of places. You've decided to call it a day, an incredible career, 14 years with Den Bosch. I mean, that in itself, in, in this modern day and age, a South African in Netherlands, 14 years, it's its become your home away from home and truly your home. Um, it, it must have been an emotional decision. It must have been quite a quite a special moment with your family coming over, how it's all ended. But yeah, how did you know? How did you know it was time? I think uh, starting the second half of the season around uh, February time, I was having quite a bit of trouble with my knee. And I thought at that moment, uh, either I can uh, go out now and I'm still on a high and still playing some good stuff. Uh, if my knee recovers, I could maybe have gone on uh, for another year, but I didn't really want to take that risk. I think it would have been uh, a long, a long year had I uh, had continued and my knee uh, didn't uh, improve. Yeah, the season in the Netherlands is basically August until yeah the end of May. So you're looking at a, a long old stretch. And if you're having injury troubles from August, then it does feel like a really long season. I think at that and around that time, while I was considering what I was going to do, I uh, received a wonderful opportunity from the Den Bosch ladies team to become their assistant coach uh, for the coming season. I thought, well, maybe this is just a sign that my body is saying it's enough. I've got a wonderful opportunity to continue within the hockey club that I've been uh, been a part of for 14 years, which is, yeah, not an opportunity that many players get, I don't think, after their career to carry on coaching at the same club. Uh, and obviously, the Dan Bosch ladies being such a successful team, I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to work with a great team. Their head coach, Marika Dijkstra, is uh, quite a legend in her own right. Uh, she's achieved a lot. She's worked with a lot of top teams. So I thought, well, this just makes perfect sense. Go out on a high. Don't completely destroy my body. And uh, a wonderful opportunity ahead of me with the Den Bosch ladies team. Yeah, we, we're going to unpack that one in a little bit more detail soon. But let's talk about um, let's talk about how it all ended. That, that wonderful final weekend, uh, your final season winning the cup, something special but also your parents being there. Just just take us through, you know, the, the highlights of the past six months, the decision, how you've been received, and also how, how wonderful it was with how the club treated you on, on final day. Sure. Well, it was. <laughs> it started off uh, really with the, one of the biggest surprises of my life. I got a phone call on the Friday before the competition ended, and I don't usually work on a Friday, but I was uh, helping out at the school where I also work. And 
my wife phoned me and said that she had locked herself out and it was kind of like the end of the day, but I really needed to finish a few things off at school. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll be there as soon as possible. And when I got home and uh, opened the door and unlocked the door and, and let her and myself in, there my parents were sitting at the dining room table, which, you know, sometimes when people try and uh, arrange a surprise, you often have a little inkling that something may be going on, but I had absolutely no idea that my parents were going to be there or if anything sneaky was happening. So I was completely surprised. It was it was actually a bizarre 10 minutes. I kind of kept on looking at them thinking, well, uh, how can you be there? This can't be possible. So that was incredibly special. Now, what made that even more special was actually that the club had uh, arranged that the club had paid for their flights, had booked their flights, had organized their accommodation. And... Uh, yeah, it's, it's not been an easy period of time for my parents either. My dad had a, a stroke a year ago, so he's yeah, mostly wheelchair-bound at the moment, so it's not easy. Otherwise, they, my parents would have stayed with me, uh, but they needed to stay in somewhere uh, that had uh, level floors, which most Dutch houses aren't. So they booked them a hotel, and this had been basically organized by our team captain had got a whole host of people from the club, the business club within the club, uh, individuals, uh, small companies to put money towards uh, getting my parents out. So it was really an incredible start to the weekend. And uh, I thought that would be about it for the festivities. I really wasn't expecting a lot, but there were uh, a host of other things that the club had arranged. I think something else that was really special was having uh, yeah, a good majority of players that I'd played with for extended period of time over the past 14 years that were part of the Denbosch men's team had come uh, to watch the game and then uh, celebrate. And uh, uh, we had obviously lo lots of lovely speeches. I also got the opportunity to to thank the club, but just to have everyone there that I had spent so much uh, time with, uh, so many wonderful moments, uh, that made it really special. And uh, yeah, I was really touched by what the club had arranged. I didn't, I didn't think they would go to that extent. I thought maybe a nice uh, bunch of flowers and uh, a little speech would have sufficed but they really went uh, above and beyond yeah and, and it's things like that that just make hockey that special sport that it is um you know you've i i kind of made a light of it at the start but it's true you know we we see a, a stadium of seventy thousand people watching zlatan ibrahimovic now i know you're not as old as that but you know it's just it's just a different economy in terms of football rugby cricket around the world hockey is not on that scale so so often things like a farewell is just a bunch of flowers and a, a pat on the back. And again, it must be quite nice to sit back and reflect that your level of importance is such that they've gone out of their way. And maybe importance is not the right word, but maybe impact, the level of impact that you've had is such that they went out of their way to make it more than just a pat on the back and a bunch of flowers. Yeah, I think... Uh... Something that is quite rare these days is a player staying at a club for that sort of extended period of time, uh, especially with the, with the younger players at the moment. Guys seem to jump around yeah, for reasons in my head. This is my own personal view, but I don't think changing clubs for any uh, really reason besides the fact that you are uh, moving a long way away and can't uh, handle the commute or a few other special reasons, but changing clubs just because you want to try something else or you get offered uh, an extra T-shirt per year at another club. Yeah, those kind of moves really disappoint me. And I think players like that miss out on what I've managed to uh, gain from the club, from staying in the club for such a long period of time. It really has, uh, yeah, it's become like a second home for me being at the club. Uh, I know yeah, almost everyone at the club, everyone who volunteers, who works behind the bar, who helps on a Sunday for games, the junior coaches that I've uh, gone down and helped. And I think that makes the experience. Uh, I don't think it's also only for a foreign. I think for local players as well, I think that would make the experience so much more enjoyable, so much more memorable. And I feel like I've got a lot out of it as well. It's not just... Uh, uh, the club that uh, uh, got uh, the the use of my skills for the past 14 years. I feel like I've gained a tremendous amount from staying at one club. So if there are any juniors listening who are maybe in South Africa or anywhere else in the world who are ever thinking about changing clubs, I really uh, 
employee to think long and hard before just making a jump. Uh, I'm sure there are sometimes good reasons to move. I've also moved clubs uh, by moving from South Africa to England and England to the Netherlands, but those were for, I thought, good reasons. So I think I've gained a lot from uh, from staying at one club uh, for my entire career here in the Netherlands, and I'm really glad I did so. Well, and, and Oz, it's, 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 not, uh, it's not just really in terms of one club for so long. I mean, your career, it's not littered with 20 different clubs here in South Africa, um, as well as 10 clubs in England. You were, you were always a club man right from the start, right throughout. I mean, how big a, a, an impact did your time here in club down in Western Province, in, in England for Reading? Now, how big did that also play in terms of those foundations and uh, the way you viewed club hockey? Well, I think I was, yeah, I was lucky to start off at a really uh, supportive club. And maybe that's where that idea of staying at one club stuck in my head. Uh, starting out at uh, Pinelands Hockey Club in Cape Town. Uh, it was where my mum played. It was where my brothers and sisters played. It was where a lot of my friends played. And it's just such a warm, welcoming club. And I think from that moment, I thought, well, yeah, why would you ever want to leave a club? If you arrive at a club that you're happy at, why would you ever want to leave? Uh, and even there, I've still got contact with uh, lots of the guys from Pinelands Hockey Club now. I think building up those friendships because you spend an extended period of time with a group of people and you go through some uh, amazing highs, especially when we when we won the league back in 2005. Uh, but also the, the terrible moments where you just miss out on playoffs or you just miss out winning the league. Those are also memories that stick with you. And it's not only the best moments that you will remember. I mean, I've got a whole host of memories from the South African national team and uh, we didn't win any significant medals in the time that I was involved. Uh, but I still thoroughly enjoyed that. So I don't think uh, players only need to look out for places where they can win everything. I think it's way more rewarding to uh, go to a club, to stay there, to help them and to try and make it to the top with that club, I think. A lot of the time, people just think, oh, let's just move to the club that's already in the top four or already often winning the league because that will uh, make them a better player or that will give them uh, more success or more enjoyment. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I know. Look, it's a sentiment I love. Uh, you know, it's it's not just even a club. It's, it's you know, my son, my son is uh, six years old. He plays under seven football and he was put in the Premier League team this year, the main team. But he was, uh, you know, it's a, a team of 10 players because they play six aside. Um, but he was number 10. So he wasn't going to play a lot. And I said, at this age, you know, he was going to be one of the subs. I'd rather he drops down, he plays. And, you know, sometimes decisions like that, it, you know, he goes in that Premier League team, he wins the trophy. Uh, this year he's going to taste a lot more defeats than victories. But he's going to get time. He's going to have opportunity to develop and, you know, understand himself. It, obviously, Den Bosch, and, and, and I, I reference that because, you know, you're a player with huge international pedigree. You know, you're you were only the second foreigner to score over a hundred goals in the Hoofdeklasse. You must have throughout your career had other teams knocking on the door saying, "Come on, Mr. Smith, time to don a different colour." And I don't necessarily want to name other clubs, but was there ever a moment in your time where where you had an offer and you thought, "Sure, this is something I need to think about"? Yeah, I had. Uh... I had quite a few offers from different clubs in different countries. And uh, I think there was only really at one stage that I really uh, thought long and hard about it. At one stage, um, things weren't going well uh, at the club. It was quite a uh, dark time. I didn't. Uh, I was really struggling to make a connection uh, with the coach. Uh, along, yeah, and a lot of players uh, felt that as well, that way as well. And uh, I did take it quite seriously. I ended up... Uh, uh, having a conversation with another club. And then I went back home. I did the old classic pros and cons list. And in the end, I decided uh, to stick it out and to uh, try and make things work uh, with the coach and with the club and with the players that we had at that time. Yeah, we finished. I think we finished. We were still on the playouts the year after that. So I think we finished 10th or 11th the year after that. We had really uh, considered. But I'm still glad that I would uh, that I stuck it out and... Uh, yeah, I had the I had the thought in my head, and uh, I just I pursued the thought, and then after weighing up the pros and cons, I decided no, it's still going to be better off uh, to stay uh, to stay at Timbos. Speaking about staying, I mean, there's been some amazing highs, some close misses, uh, even COVID got in the way uh, when you guys were on fire. 
What what are the, the, the moments that really stand out in the 14 year? And I know it's hard to encompass that, but, but what are the first moments that come to mind when I say the real highs of your time in, in the Netherlands? Sure. I think probably the most bizarre hockey season of anywhere that I've played actually in the world was the 2010-2011 season. Uh, no, the 2011-2012 season. It was the year that uh, Rhett Halkett was playing at the South African player, and Jacques Leroux South African, uh, was South African goalkeeper. And we'd had a new coach. It really didn't click. We had five points uh, going into the halfway point, going into the winter break. And in the winter break, we also had three points deducted because something had gone wrong with the registration of Jacques Leroux. Something to do with his visa, everything. We thought we'd submitted everything. We, meaning the club and uh, the KNHB, the Dutch Hockey Authority, said no, they didn't receive it. So we had three points taken away. So we were on two points, and the gap was 11 points. I think uh, 10 or 11 points between the number 11. So we were in 12th position, and 12th position gets directly relegated. The club made the decision in December to change coaches, and uh, along came Mark Lammers who's a, a legend uh, of year. He's got uh, gold medals with the Dutch women, been very successful with the Spanish teams, with the Belgian teams. He came along and the second half of the season, it just completely clicked. And somehow he managed to get the absolute best out of us. And we ended up finishing uh, 10th. We uh, yeah, got basically, I think... It was only one game that we didn't get a draw or win in the second half of the season. So, like, an, incredi- an incredible turnaround. And I will never forget that. And we ended up having to... We did end up having to play in the playouts. But uh, we won those pretty comfortably. Uh, that season then went on. We just qualified at the end of that season to play in the 2012 Olympics. So, it was the year that we had to qualify twice where we had qualified. And then we used the... We gave our ticket to Spain, went to their qualify in Japan. So that 12-month period was some of, the, <laughs> some of the craziest stuff that I've ever been a part of. But it was also such a good learning experience. I've never seen a clear example of a coach coming in and setting uh, really clear standards, making it really obvious what everyone needed to do, and really encouraged everyone to uh, focus on their role and was super encouraging and just those things there were no new players there was no new system just making everything clear and simple and positive got us a a whole heap of different results in the second half of the season so that year was incredible i think the year where like you just said where we were in second place uh, come april so we only had a few left games left to go and the league got uh, stopped because of covid was a real shame uh, because we were doing so well. The year after that, we did end up making the playoffs by finishing fourth. And uh, unfortunately, we couldn't make it any further than the semi-final. We lost to Blumendahl. And that was also a little bit of a shame because it was the first time in around 20 years that we had made the playoffs. Uh, but we weren't allowed any spectators at the game. And I can still remember so clearly, we had some juniors come and watch our game in Blumendahl. And they were standing probably a hundred meters away from the field, as like in the in the parking area. They could barely have a have a line of sight of the field, but they were still there. Classic Dutch weather. It was pouring with rain. It was overcast, and they were there with their Denbosch flag supporting us from the car park. And I, I can see that picture in my mind so clearly. It just thinks, wow, how special is that that these guys have come all the way? It's an hour and a bit drive up to Bloemendaal to uh, to watch us and support us. So that was a really uh, that was a really special moment. Oh, amazing stuff. It obviously also did at least end with a, a silver lining, winning the, the 2023 Cup. I mean, uh, how, how does that rank in terms of the career achievements, managing to get that, that big piece of silverware in the trophy cupboard? Yeah, it was a big piece of silverware. Actually, it was a pretty, it was a very <laughs> big piece of silverware, bigger than I was expecting. So that was uh, that was fun. Uh, it was nice for us to kind of give something to the club. I mean, uh, we hadn't won anything for a long period of time. It was nice uh, for the people that make it happen and uh, the spectators to celebrate with us. That is, I think. I mean, you mentioned uh, 
Zlatan Ibrahimovic earlier that there are 70,000 fans. But I can guarantee you he wasn't he wasn't celebrating that moment with all those fans. He wasn't high-fiving them. He wasn't chatting to them. That's just not possible in football. And I think that makes hockey really special still, that it's still uh, accessible to the public, to the juniors that come onto the field after the game. I think those, so those, those are some of the really uh, nice moments in hockey. I mean, being in the clubhouse afterwards, singing, acting like idiots with the cup in the clubhouse with our supporters, with our friends and family uh, and juniors from the club. Uh, that was awesome. So I think winning those cups, obviously it's it's nice for yourself, but it's also really special to share that with the entire club uh, who come in, watch week in, week out. I think those moments, uh, I think for the whole club are really special. So I was glad that we could achieve something like that uh, in my time. Uh, obviously winning the winning the cup, like Pinoke managed this year for the first time ever. Uh, winning it again at the boss would have been nice in my uh, tenure at the club. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't to be. So I think we'll have to. We'll have to do it with the ladies uh, as an assistant coach. But uh, to see the men, I think the men are really set up nicely at the moment. So to see them do that in the future with guys that I've played with would still give me a lot of uh, satisfaction. So yeah, I hope I'm still around at the club when uh, when that happens. Well, let, let's talk about your coaching ambitions. Um... It's not necessarily something you've always uh, shared that that was your plan or anything and because you were focused on playing. You'll, you'll have the opportunity now as assistant coach of the women's team. Of course, uh, we've seen Justin Reed ross do the same at Amsterdam and uh, we know anything Justin can do, you can do better. Uh, he's gonna Besides scoring more goals on the Hope Plus because he's, <laughs> well, he's, he's ended well above me. I would have needed to carry on for another... Ten years, I think, to uh, to close in on his record. Look, I think Justin was worried that you might um, carry on for another <laughs> ten years, but uh, obviously he got to celebrate this year with Amsterdam winning him and Robert Tiggs. Yeah, I mean, how excited are you to to put down the stick, put on the coaching cap, and and get your hands dirty on that side with a really really great uh, women's club there at Den Bosch? Yes. Yeah, I am really excited. I'm also I'm probably more curious than I am excited. It's been a while since I've worked with a ladies team. Uh, yeah, things are slightly different. Um, but yeah, there oh, yeah, are also pros and, uh, and cons about that. I think in general, ladies listen a lot better than, uh, than us men. So I'll be looking forward to that side of things. And I think in the last few years, I've been thinking about which... Uh, direction I would go once I retire from uh, from playing. I'm currently teaching three days a week at the International School of Eindhoven uh, in the primary department, and I was considering doing going into that full time, working five days a week. I thought, yeah, it will be a real shame if I don't give coaching a chance. So right now, I think I have the perfect situation where I'm going to do basically. Yeah, it works out to be around uh, three days a week coaching, three days a week uh, teaching. And I think that's going to be a great combination. This gives me the chance. Do I want to pursue this any further? Is assistant coach uh, where my passion lies, where my skills lie? Or uh, is there a future in being the head coach of a, of a big club uh, like Dumbos or something else? So I think mostly this year is going to be kind of like a little expedition to see uh, yeah, what I can bring to the table. I really hope that I can... Uh, yeah, offer these uh, ladies something uh, something new. I hope I can encourage them. I hope I hope I can help them uh, reach uh, help them reach their goals of uh, of becoming world champion. A lot of those players, I think around eight or nine, are in the Dutch women's squad or the Dutch under twenty one or the Dutch under eighteen team. It's a fantastically strong group, so I'm really looking forward to yeah trying to add value uh, where I can and also learning from uh, from Marika Dijkstra, who's got yeah really a wealth of uh, expertise. Yeah, I mean, you talk about that that team. Uh, we watched that Dutch under twenty one team here play in in Potchefstroom last year, Junior World Cup, absolutely dominant. And of course, uh, one of those uh, players was Norm Rani. Oh, she's one of yours, uh, a very very exciting player. And there's there's a whole bunch more. I mean, the talent that is coming through. Why why is there such incredible talent coming through in the Netherlands? that other countries don't seem to be producing and and I'm not I'm not trying to discredit other countries. I think they, they all get it right, but the youngsters coming through from the Netherlands just seem sensational. 
Yeah, I have to <laughs> I have to agree. The Dutch are uh, a long way ahead of everyone. I do feel like a few of the national teams are closing the gap slightly, but I think if you compare the junior setup here, okay, if we were to compare directly to South Africa, uh, Dutch junior teams here train two or three times a week for yeah practically ten months of the year. So if you consider the number of playing hours that a uh, eighteen-year-old has, kind of when they finish school, to uh, a South African player, yeah, you can't even uh, compete with those those numbers. So I think that makes a huge difference. I think the opportunity that you have as a player, both male and female, here after you've finished, uh, you can still play semi-professionally. So I think for a lot of players, that's still quite interesting. Uh, the Dutch women's team have a fairly high profile. No, they are not uh, fully professional. But uh, it is. I think it is quite uh, interesting if, you are, uh, if you're Dutch and you're living here to go into playing professional hockey, semi-professional hockey, is something that's quite respected in, the, in society and it is possible. I think the challenge that we have in South Africa is that if you are a really good junior hockey player, to continue playing and to keep putting in the hours when you know that you're going to have to probably pay for hockey tours. And the only real incentive is to play in the national team and go to big tournaments like the World Cup and Olympics, which in my opinion is a huge incentive. And uh, I'm still really glad that I sacrificed everything that I did to go and play in those events. And I would, I would do it all again in a heartbeat. So junior players out there, please don't get me wrong. It's still definitely worth it. But I think the number of players that do that in South Africa compared to the number of players that do that here in the Netherlands are vastly different. And if you start drawing from a pool of a thousand players here and then ultimately choose your best uh, 25 for a squad, yeah, then uh, the chance of having 25 amazing players is, uh, is higher in a country where you have a bigger pool. I think that's uh, I think that's a problem that happens not only just in South Africa but in most other countries around the world that the pool of elite players just isn't big enough when it gets to um, that final uh, final group. You were part of arguably the most exciting South African men's side at the Tokyo Olympics, getting that massive massive victory over Germany. Of course, waking the world up and. That team has subsequently gone on to earn a spot in the FIH Pro League. Of course, uh, I don't necessarily want to spend too much time talking about the, the debacle that happened after <laughs> that. No. But it, but it is an exciting time for South African hockey. The, the, the danger we have is that top 16 is very exciting. But you mentioned it now, the depth. It's just not, you know, when you... you Look, the second tier down, they went to Aslan Shah last year and they finished sixth out of six teams, losing to Egypt. You know, there's there's a bit of a chasm between the top six and it and makes it a little bit difficult for the coaches to to bring the next guys in. What what practical ways do South Africa have to try and start bridging this gap? Because realistically, and I'm talking only the men's program, there is no money. We know that. So uh, saying, yes, they must go into Pro League, well, there's no money for that. Yes, they must build a program like the women have. There's no money for that. What would you, you push as a realistic alternative for the, the SA men's team at this point in time? Yeah, I think there's still uh, a lot that can be done. We've, uh, we've done it before on a very limited budget, but it takes uh, a lot of organization. I'm not involved at the moment, so I don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but I don't get the impression that there are a lot of uh, high-performance sessions going on. I could be wrong because I'm not really involved at the moment, but I think that's one area that you can still add a lot of value. But again, I said it takes a lot of organization. It takes people to, yeah, to do things for free, but I think in South Africa, that's one of the amazing things about a country that there are people who are passionate about something and then... Yeah, if, even if they aren't getting getting paid, uh, just for the love of the sport. So high performance sessions in the performance in the hubs around South Africa, I think that can uh, that can still achieve a lot. And I think those kind of things are really important because I remember, I think one of the huge benefits that we had in South Africa when I was uh, making my way into the national team that we would have high performance sessions, and those high performance sessions really uplifted the players in my community because I would go back to club sessions and say, hey, hang on, guys. 
high performance sessions, this is how we do it. This is how hard we train. We run before the session. We play mini games at a higher intensity. And by exposing people, more peak players to that level, uh, I think you can uh, filter down that quality a lot easier. And if you're only having one or two camps or you're just having uh, a World Cup or a Pro League or yeah, one-off things, I think it's harder to sustain that quality and to improve the players around you. That's a lot more difficult. So I think something that doesn't cost very much is uh, yeah, high-performance sessions. And uh, that would be the way that I would go if I was uh, in Chesna's position at the moment. I don't know what's uh, happening. Uh, maybe I should find out from some of the guys if that is happening. I hope that it is because I think that's uh, a good way to still uh, keep in contact with the guys, to still be working on similar themes that need improving. Uh, yeah, like I said, there's a lot going to be done with uh, without heaps and heaps of money. Yeah, and, and obviously there's a number of South Africans playing overseas. We've got uh, the Kasim brothers are moving to Holland. Ryan Julius has been there. You have Anton von Lochrenberg has just signed for Southgate in England. Matt Geis-Brown is that side. You've got guys playing in Belgium. Um, you know, how, how important is it to to try and get the European-based players together as frequently as possible, or even, or even just occasionally, you know, rather than necessarily having to fly all 20 out to South Africa at an RPT where, realistically, we don't get any time together anyway. Is that something that we need to be done? I know that was something that under you and, and the Tim that the team were looking at and trying to create. Uh, is that a solution? Is that something that the, the clubs in Europe would uh, be be willing to support? Or are there avenues we're just not thinking about at this point in time? I think it's definitely an option. I don't think it's uh, super important that the European players to get together. I mean, we organized two little mini camps uh, leading up to the Olympics and World Cup purely because we wanted to be together and we did some training it wasn't uh, super high quality, but yeah, clubs are willing to help us out. Dambos helped us out with meals and meeting rooms. Uh, we trained at another local club. We had some practice. We had a practice game. It was a lot of fun. I think it's more important to uh, to get that schedule out in advance so that players can speak to their clubs and say, "These are the times I'm going to be away. Are you okay with that?" Clubs do not appreciate uh, a week's notice. And saying, oh, uh, the head coach has just emailed me and we've got a training camp or we've got an event that we've been invited to. I have to leave. When a club's playing, paying you to, to provide a service, they expect you to be there to provide a service unless it's been kind of clearly put into your contract. So again, being organized and having that calendar up to date kind of two years in advance, that is super important. So when you're negotiating with clubs, everything's clear and everything's organized. And then players can also plan in advance. Okay, this is, this is where I'm going to be. Then I'm going to fly back to South Africa. We're going to train. But without that structure, then it makes it really difficult. And uh, not having the Europeans back at training camps for events for IPT is definitely not going to help uh, the greater depth. So, yes, it's great having the guys overseas. And they will individually benefit, which will help our team. I think it would be even more beneficial if they were at more of the training camps and at IPT, because imagine like the Cassian brothers, Dan Bell, Ryan Julius, these guys rocking up from having played a season in Europe, getting to IPT. Hey guys, this is what I've learned. This is another way of pressing. This is another way of getting out the press. This is another cool idea for free at side, side the D to share all that knowledge. If guys aren't meeting up, if they aren't sharing the knowledge, then uh, the transfer is not happening. And, trying to expect those things to happen at a major event. Yeah, that's simply expecting too much. Yeah, it, it does feel sometimes um, that we, yeah, we, we, we have a, a blank canvas and we're a little bit frustrated that there's not a guide on how to fill it. Yeah, I think that black canvas looks should look like a calendar and it should have all the FIH events which are planned for the next two years on it. And then we should be working back from each event with a clear idea of, of uh, what we want to achieve. It should have the European calendar in there so we know when we can expect the European plays to come back. It should have blocks of high performance. It should have blocks of specialist skills training. 
it should have fitness requirements uh, and then it wouldn't be looking so blank and again not much of that costs uh, much money yeah absolutely is is it something and and maybe it's not something you've considered yet but is that something that you would potentially aspire towards is uh one day coaching the south african team sure coaching the south african team uh hasn't really yeah that's why i said i'm more curious about how i how i go coaching the the Dambosh ladies team yeah a lot of players have uh, have tried and failed at going from a playing career to a coaching career they either get too frustrated or they can't get the message across or they can't explain it clearly enough yeah, that's a challenge that I'm going to that I'm going to take on, and uh, if it works out, and if I'm successful at it, then yeah, that'd be amazing to come back uh, and work with the South African team in some shape or form. Um, yeah, I'd never close uh, close that door completely. No, oh, that's awesome to hear and, and exciting stuff. Um, obviously, we also see South African coaches around the world doing things. We see uh, Reeves and Seaman with Great Britain. Stanny is still with the Aussies. Greg Nickel with New Zealand. Craig Fulton is the Indian head coach. Um, I'm sure. Red Red Halkett as the assistant coach yeah, of the Indian team. Red Halkett, of course, having spent time with Scotland. Now there, um, yourself and Justin Redross are now assistant coaches in the Werfter class. I mean, what what do you think it is about the South Africans that uh, make us that little bit more special? uh probably how competitive we all are <laughs> how desperate we are to win and uh i think we've been through a lot as players in general through our careers uh, so i think we've learned a lot so we've played in a lot of different countries often if i look at some of the dutch players uh, who've gone on to be coaches i've often only experienced the hope class i think you are that much stronger if you've played in different countries if you've worked with different types of people because ultimately, uh, I think a fantastic coach uh, is a coach that can manage players, get the best out of them, and get the message across simply. And I think that's something that we are pretty good at in the, in South Africa, at managing and working with different people. I think that's one of the things that make our country uh, special and unique. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I also like uh, teaching at the international school, because it's uh, so diverse. Uh, I think, yeah, I think between those two things, the... The fact that we have got so much experience and uh, how competitive we are. Yeah, yeah. listen, I've uh, I've uh, seen many South African men, even on a golf oh, course, on a successful putt-putt. around the world in coaching positions. Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. We are supremely competitive as men. Sometimes we're over competitive. I mean, I've seen uh, I've seen us on a putt putt course. I've seen guys at a table tennis. And it's, <laughs> it's almost a, a death match about who's going to win and you know that competitive spirit drives us out i always said i also think the fact that south africa is such a diverse country just means that we grow up understanding different cultures better than people who are only exposed to one and, and i do think that plays a major um major advantage to to us as south africans yeah yeah definitely yeah i think that's uh it's one of the challenges that we're still trying to overcome in South Africa about all our differences and trying to uh, trying to get the best out of each of them and trying to bring them all together in a harmonious way. It doesn't always work, but I think uh, when it does work, it's a really special environment uh, to be a part of. And I think that was one of the great things that uh, our past captain, uh, Tim Drummond, did to, to bring all of those together so well. I think that was one of his real qualities and i think he did that uh he did that to great effect especially uh at the olympics yeah you talk about that olympic squad yourself tim russi all have uh, hung up your sticks potentially uh tane payton jethro eustace would be the next in line to do so they they still have a couple of years maybe left but it does feel like it's an end of an era the 2012 team is all done now um and that team you know we often look back i mean the 2021 team did something very special but we always felt that 2012 team was that team that was right on the precipice of breaking through into the, the top echelon of hockey. And, you know, for whatever reasons, we always just fell short. It, it must be a, a, a bittersweet. You know, it's, it's great what all the guys have done, but a bittersweet to say that that era of players is pretty much done now in terms of their playing. Obviously, they're all actively involved still. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's also quite exciting though. Of course, yeah, when you look back at your career, you always think, oh, wouldn't it have been great to win Olympics, or wouldn't it have been great to have uh, won a, a gold medal at the World Cup or even the Commonwealth Games? But I mean, we uh, we trained as hard as we could. We worked as hard as we could. I can't imagine possibly having trained harder for those uh, 2012 Olympics. I couldn't have been in any better shape. Uh, I think that we just uh, we just reached our uh, our limits, and uh, I think that's the exciting thing about the junior players now is that the results that we had in Tokyo that was with a very mediocre preparation, and that's not just because of COVID. That's because we couldn't uh, finance a proper preparation. But I think this next generation that's come through are players that have grew up uh, from the very first time they touched a hockey ball on AstroTurf. That's why their skills are all 10 times better than uh, any of us older guys. And I think that makes it way more exciting than the fact that we didn't quite make it. I think the potential of the of the next group of actually making the next step up if they're able to uh, train and play within the I think that's far more exciting than uh, thinking back to, oh, how close were we? Yeah, we were fairly close, but uh, ultimately we weren't good enough to to do any more than we did. And the fact that the next generation, I think, really are able to do that makes me far more excited to watch them play in the next competition. Uh, it's absolutely epic to hear you talk about that. And it is an exciting team uh, built around the Kasims, Billion, Tuli, Ryan, Julius, Tevin Kwak. I mean, the, what do they call them? The racing snakes. Um, it was never <laughs> quite, there was never quite a, a description that I had. I don't think anyone ever called me a snake or a racer, but um, <laughs> definitely not a racing snake. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, the, the other thing that you do allude to earlier in the, in the chat and that I just want to bring it back to is you speak about being loyal to one club. We're also in an era where, where players aren't necessarily loyal to one brand for a very long time. And, you know, you and you and I have it in common, obviously, very different, but uh, you've been loyal with Princess for a long time. Of course, they weren't your only brand throughout your career. Why is that? Why did you stay with one brand as long as you did? Um, you know, in, a, in an era where you seek players swap brands every two, three years. Yeah, very. I could just copy and paste my first answer about why I stayed <laughs> at the boss because uh, why would you move if you're happy? Uh, yes, I had offers from other brands. I thought, well, what's the point of moving when I'm uh, really happy with the brand that I've uh, what I've got now? And again, at the end of my career, now I've really benefited because I've uh, created a tremendous friendship. I've met a lot of other princess athletes around the world that a lot of them I can call uh, my friends. I feel like I've got a community that uh, will support me. Uh, I'm also part of the community and I love to try and add value to that. And you don't create that when every two years you jump to another company, club, brand, friendship circle, you name it. Yeah, staying with the, staying with the group, staying with a brand like Princess yeah, has given me so much. So I feel like Yes, I've done my best to try and promote them and to try and add value to their group, but uh, I feel like I've received far more just by staying with them and just by being loyal to them. So, yeah, again, I'm so glad that I was able to uh, partner up with a wonderful brand like that and uh, to work with a great bunch of uh, guys and girls. So, yeah, don't regret it for a moment. Uh, and the fact that you... Uh... And, and I don't just say this because it was my favorite stick for, for too many years when I did play. Uh, you had a stick, the AS5, named after you. I mean, it, it's ironic because uh, Jack would often try and send me a new stick, but I used the AS5, the green one. Yeah, quite nice. I still got it. Uh, but I used that one for many years because I enjoyed the stick. I was like, I don't need a new stick. Give it to somebody else, rather. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, like, when when you see kids running around playing with an Austin Smith five stick, I mean, running around with with a princess shirt with your name on the back, you know. Again, we 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 say we're as a sport not as big as soccer as Latin can't interact with the fans, but he has seventy thousand people. Do you realize how big an impact you really make when you start to see how many kids wear your shirt, how many kids play with your stick, how many kids actually know who you are? 
Yeah, that is cool because I think that's, again, the reason why something like that comes is because you are loyal to a brand. A brand isn't going to go out on a limb and produce a thousand hockey sticks. And then next year you say, see ya, I'm going uh, to your competitor. So by staying with a brand, by building up a relationship, by uh, putting in work yourself, by trying to build up your own social media following, sometimes players forget and they just expect the brand to promote them. Yeah, you also need to promote yourself. You also need to put your best foot forward. Think carefully about the content that you're putting online, not you having pizza and beers on a Friday night. Think carefully uh, the image that you're putting out there. And if you put out the right image and if you're willing to put in the time and, uh, and support the brand, then they will be there to support you as well. And then you get opportunities like the opportunities that I had. And yeah, I think Princess, uh, I was actually thinking about that, uh, which stick I'm going to use for coaching. And I think I'm actually going to go back to that green and yellow A5 Princess stick one. because I think those colors were maybe some of the best that we brought out. Yeah, it was, it was the best um, so yeah that was a, like really special to see your name and your signature on a stick yeah i think that was incredible and prince did take a bit of a risk doing that because i don't think at that stage any other brands in south africa were doing that so they they weren't sure how that was going to go and i'm glad it uh i'm glad it worked out and they're not still a thousand uh a5 sticks sitting in the princess warehouse unsold no it's only about 950 <laughs> <laughs> Did, did, did you ever get hard times from the guys over in, in the Netherlands because you had a stick named after you? Uh, no, a few people in the Netherlands actually wanted to buy the stick and that, <laughs> it was only on sale in South Africa. And then, oh, maybe we can import it. Uh, at that stage, the Princess Africa weren't exporting. I'm not sure if they, if they did do it in the end. But uh, no, I think over here, those kinds of things are a little bit more normal. Yeah, you get a few... Uh, Chirps, but then I basically say, "Yeah, guys, is your stick sponsor doing anything like that for you?" <laughs> and then it's very quiet. <laughs> and and obviously your your sponsorship was through Princess South Africa, but it was obviously also Princess International. And um, you know, how how close was the relationship with uh, Princess in the Netherlands themselves? Yeah, really close. I didn't often need equipment over here because I normally uh, pick up my equipment in in South Africa. But I did quite a few photo shoots over here. With the guys, and yeah, I had a lot of fun uh, doing stuff with Cherry Brinkman and Yora Crone when he was with Princess, uh, with Miles Buckins recently, recently Norda Bart, uh, uh, Lily Denoyer, and now Kumbaya. Those, those are really enjoyable, fun days, and that's what I'm talking about, like meeting these guys and girls and uh, starting up friendships with them. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I think that's uh, something special about uh, being part of a brand like uh, like Princess. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm, I'm, I'd say technically because obviously for years I've been princess, but I'm really more uh, sportsway. So I also represent Bravo. I'm actually wearing a Bravo hat right now, um, <laughs> but but I don't play anymore. So it's whichever hat looks best when I'm doing commentary. I try and get it on there. The FIH sometimes shout at me when I wear a Bravo hat because obviously their sponsor is a soccer, uh, but <laughs> it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Uh, speaking of forgiveness or permission, Ozcam, there must be some times in your career that you had to go to a coach or uh, uh, maybe a sponsor or something and, and ask for forgiveness for a little bit of the shenanigans off the field. Is there one time that you can share that's not going to get you in too much trouble? And maybe not, hmm. P, maybe not a PSI Nationals in KZN. <laughs> Those are holiday moments, so those don't count. <laughs> I can remember a few uh, a few moments with coaches. I can remember having a moment with uh, a Dan Bosch coach. It was the classic uh, lost in translation. We were playing, I think, the bottom of the league team. We really needed to win. And at halftime, he mentioned three corners that we should do. And I understood it that these are three possibilities that he thinks we should do, but he meant in order. So it got to the like the last few seconds of the game. Uh, it was two all. I can remember it so clearly. Uh, Rhett Halkett was uh, on the slip, and I said, "Rhett, the corner's not going so well today. We're going to do a backhand tip to you." Yeah, what do you think? We didn't score, obviously. And the coach came raging onto the field at me, giving me an absolute mouthful about how I don't get to decide the corners that he decides the corners, and when he says I I need to do. And I was really emotion too emotional at that point because I was super disappointed that we didn't score. I hadn't scored corners that game, so I already felt like I let the team down. 
So I reacted, <laughs> I reacted quite strongly. And actually, I was talking about that moment recently with my wife because her friend was watching that game and she had a dog with her. And after the game, I can still remember asking her if I could take her dog for a walk around the lake next to the club just to try and cool off and to get away from the coach. But uh, that was a funny moment. And the coach actually called me the, the, the following day on the Monday and invited me over to his, uh, his house for a coffee. And we, uh, we patched things up again. And yeah, those are some of the moments when you're really... You're both super emotional. You're both incredibly competitive and desperate for a win. And uh, we did have a chuckle about by that stage, we had both cooled down and we could actually explain what had went wrong because in the moment on the field, I was trying to explain myself and he wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was a funny moment. I don't know if I've had any, uh, if I've ever made any big mistakes with sponsors. You may have to ask uh, Princess about that one. <laughs> I'm sure there have been times where I forgot to tag them on an Instagram post. But I think in general, those kinds of things, I normally pay uh, as much attention to it as possible because I know, yeah, this is, a, this is a serious business. And if you want to hold on to a wonderful sponsor, then you really need to give it your, your full attention. So I don't think I've made too many uh, mishaps in that department. Well, well, listen, there's still time to fix that. Um <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot safer when you're a coach now because uh, you can accidentally say something and uh, just be like, oh, sorry, sorry. The focus must be on well, the Well, I players. don't know. I feel like you as a coach, you should be uh, more able to keep your emotions in check. I'm, I've been thinking about that as well recently <laughs> in the lead up to the season that starts in September. What kind of assistant coach I'm going to be if I'm going to be uh, very vocal or try and... Uh, be a lot calmer and uh, try and like just bring uh, a calming voice to the players on the bench and the players who are substituting. I haven't kind of worked out how it's going to be. I say that now when I'm in a calm situation, but uh, <laughs> maybe you should ask me again when it's uh, one all in the dying seconds, how calm I'm able to remain. Well, will, uh, you, be, will you be, I'll get the, back to you on that one. Will you be the assistant coach on the bench or will you be up in the stands? You I will know. be uh, on the bench in the in the thick of it. Oh, yeah. Good luck. Good luck staying calm. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I was obviously in touch at the Junior World Cup and at the Nations Cup when I wasn't on commentary. I'd often go sit on the coach's stand just because it was a bit quieter. But when I say it was quieter, it was quieter due to number of people. Those poor assistant coaches on the side of the field. I was worried that I was going to have to do CPR at some point to one or two of them because uh, <laughs> the stress levels were through the roof. Uh, but it, but it I is. can imagine. I don't know if it's even worse sometimes being an assistant coach <laughs> when you're in the stands because you have even less control over what the players are doing. And that's saying even though the, even the head coach on the bench has limited to control. So yeah, I really feel for those assistant coaches in the stands. It's not easy when you've discussed a multitude of things and then us players just go on and do our own thing. It's not an easy spot to who you must be thinking like, what, what did you even spend three hours and analyzing the opposition if this is what you're going to do? I've often so, wondered yeah, it's if... A tough, the, it's if, a tough gig. Yeah, I, I've often wondered if the head coach doesn't just uh, um, turn turn off the headphones sometimes or just you know, <laughs> take it off the ear and just be like, yeah, okay, all good. <laughs> because sometimes it feels to me like... Uh, they, uh, the the assistant coach is shouting his mind off and the head coach is just completely oblivious to it. It's beautiful. Yeah, well, we'll see how I get on. Maybe Marika will send me into the into the stands <laughs> or into the tower after the first couple of games if I get too rowdy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll be watching eagerly and if we have the three or four games we see you in the stands, we know... Uh, then you'll know why. <laughs> uh, obviously, one of the great things about hockey, you talk about the fact that... Uh, it's the social side of the game that keeps it, you know, we're not quite professional around the world, um, but it, it's it's really what affords the fact that you can go into the crowd, talk to the fans, talk to the families, you know, afterwards, yeah, there could be a drink in the change room, but you could all end up in the pub with the fans, with the crowd and everything, having a beer. As a coach, obviously, maybe you, you, you won't always be able to get involved in that, but... Uh, you know, as a coach, would you be someone that you'd want the players to come to you and say, like, give me direct feedback? Or would you rather per prefer like more of a, a coaching style of taking the team through team meetings and 
or, or is that something that you're not really even sure of at this point? Yeah, not too sure how that's going to work out. I haven't, uh, uh, because the ladies were obviously part of the the playoffs. I haven't had a good sit down with Marika and discussed exactly what our roles. We when I spoke to her leading up to accepting the position, we did discuss what she would briefly like uh, me to do, but we haven't gone into a lot of detail. I would like it though if the if the ladies or if I end up coaching a men's team, any player that I'm coaching, I would love it if they were comfortable enough to come up to me and say. Uh, look, Austin, you keep on saying this. I don't understand. Or why are you saying this? Or why am I not playing more? Or why is this happening? I hope that I am approachable enough that players can come to me with any worries, uh, even if it's personal matters that I can uh, help them with. Because ultimately, if you've got a player on the field who is going through something really difficult in their private life, if they can't get that out the way, uh, and play to their potential on a on a Sunday, then yeah, then it's no good either. So I hope that they'll be able to uh, feel comfortable enough uh, to come to me. That's something that I really focus on uh, as a teacher in the classroom, because uh, I'm sure you know with your kids, if they go to school and uh, they're not in a good headspace, then you can teach the lesson however you want. If that child or uh, adult isn't in a place to to learn because of uh, something that's happening in their life. And you've got no chance. So I hope that those skills that I've built up in the classroom will help me on the hockey field. And uh, yeah, that's why I think I started off by saying I'm really curious to see uh, how that goes. Maybe it's a maybe it's a catastrophe, and they all uh, get annoyed by my competitiveness. Uh, yeah, maybe you won't see me on the bench. All the stands, you'll uh, see me. Uh, watching the game on TV. <laughs> and then you also know how that's gone. <laughs> Listen, we've seen Rassi uh, make the, the switch to commentate on FIH Pro League games. There's also <laughs> there's also that avenue if if all things don't work out well. But uh, we back you. I, I back you. I, I know that you're going to make an absolute success of it, as you always do. Oz, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. It's been incredible to to see you be a servant to the game of hockey a servant to south african hockey and of course a servant to den bosch i think uh, the way they they celebrated the end of your career with you the social media that went out the celebration with your parents the team the players it tells you that uh, you you left an, an undeniably big mark and that the legacy of austin smith will carry on as5 legacy will be there for years and years to come and and you know my own kids will grow up and that legacy will be something they aspire to so on behalf of all south african hockey fans and probably south africa uh, broader than just south africa we offer hockey fans all we can say is thank you for uh, making our sport better and leaving it in a better place than the way you found it thank you so much uh ty uh, it really means a lot to me and uh, i've loved our chats uh, both uh, these formal ones, well, it's not really that formal, but these slightly more formal ones and all the informal ones we've had around the hockey field. Uh, very looking forward to meeting up with you and all the other legends back in South Africa the next time I'm at home. And hopefully a hockey event will bring me your way and uh, I can come and uh, abuse you in the commentary box or somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, thank you for all the effort that you've put in, uh, the, all the support that you've given me and the South African team and you continue to do with these podcasts and uh, your commentary and all the social media that you do uh, with your company. Yeah, it means the world to us. So thank you and I look forward to uh, many more chats in the future, Ty. Yeah, absolutely. This is not the end. It's just the end of playing chats. Now we're going to move on to coaching chats and that's at least where I can give a little bit more input to to the game of hockey than from a player. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Ozzy, have a have a good one. Uh, I see the Dutch have gone through and won the game, so uh, you should be in a happy country right now. And uh, we will chat to you more, ladies and gents. The legend Ozzy Smith, AS5, is uh, hanging up the stick, but uh, he's picking up the whistle, and it's going to be absolutely great. You can uh, hear this more. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you share Hockey the Podcast. It's free for listening. Um, and we hope you enjoy it. It's a great game, and there's always a great way to celebrate it. We will see you for the next episode pretty soon. Some big ones coming up too. Cheers.